touch of your lips, dear, but much more for the touch of your whips, dear. You can raise welts like nobody else as we dance to the masochism tango. Say our love is a flame, not an amber. Say it's me that you want to... Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Ace Light Podcast. Obviously, standing for advice, sex, love, understanding, and trust. Thank you once again for joining me on this wonderful day. I know it's a little bit late. I know that uh, it's a day, even a day late to what it would be if it was two weeks. But I have had to make the conscious decision to bring it back to a fortnightly, um, a fortnightly show. And the reason for that is I'm just too busy and I'm wearing myself a little bit too thin, uh, to be honest, guys. So it's a little bit of self-preservation uh, for the main part is why we're doing that. But don't worry, it, I do believe that it'll make these episodes a little more a little more quality than, than what they were. Um, I have been rushing uh, the last few, so maybe, I'm hoping, 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 hoping that this will improve that and... I'll have more enjoyable content for you guys. Um, I've kind of been doing what I've wanted to do on this, which has been kind of cool. And it's given me stuff to learn about and and go on from as well, which has been really cool and really awesome. Um, But before we go too much into things, um, just remember to follow us on the Twitter, the the Facebook um, and Instagram at the ASLUP Podcast. Or you can email through to the show at theaceluppodcast at gmail.com. Love hearing from you guys. Love your questions. Love your feedback. Love everything that I get from you. Um, because it helps me make this a better experience in, in many different ways. Uh, we're going to start off today with a listener question. We've got another one, which is exciting for me, which is great. And um, we're going to talk... A lot about the origins of Wonder Woman. This may seem odd for this podcast, but for those of you that know, it's got a bit of an interesting story, and we're going to talk about that today. But before we get into that, we're going to go to our listener mail, and this email comes from a lovely young lady named Zoe, who lives in British Columbia in Canada. And she asks, Dear Simon, I've just started dating uh, a new person. I've not been dating anyone else, and I've been single for the last wee while. I want to share with this new person the fact that I am polyamorous, but I'm scared that it'll make them run away and desert me. I haven't had many relationships in my time, and I'm really, really excited about this. What can I do? Should I tell them now? Should I just believe that I'm monogamous? What what should I do? First and foremost in this, okay, what I want to say is you should never have to pretend to be someone. You should always try and be yourself more than anything else. And that would be my my first piece of advice on this. The next part of it would be to be as upfront and honest as you can, as early as you can. You don't want this dragging on down the line and then you end up resenting them because you couldn't be who you wanted to be. 
or basically whatever you want to go from that. You want to be polyamorous and you'll end up envisioning that this person has stopped you from being, from living a polyamorous lifestyle. Okay. So that's my, that's my, one of my main concerns with that. But if you're really into this person, I think one of the best things you can do is be as upfront and honest as you can, both to them and to yourself. So you know who you are as a person. You're polyamorous and you're awesome and, and you're really happy with how things are going. Then the next part is definitely to tell them sooner rather than later. Rather, rather than risk the hurt down the line, it might be better to sort of knock it on its head now. And if it's not right, it's not right. You know, you say you haven't been dating for a while. And I think maybe you're putting too much pressure on, on yourself for this one as well. I've done that. I've gone years without dating somebody and then I finally start dating someone and all sorts of weird and crazy shit comes out of me and it all goes all over the place. So just take it easy. They may not be the one. You never know. They might be. And if they are, then happy days. If they're going to be one of many, then awesome for you. But you need to come out and say exactly how you feel and exactly what you mean. Um, as early as, as humanly possible to save the heartache of both of you down the line. Because if it comes out later down the line and goes, hey, I've been polyamorous since day one, let's open up our relationship now, then can get a wee bit iffy. If you lay the seed now, they might not be, and this, this is another possibility here, they might not be into it now. But down the line, they might go, okay, I'm sort of interested to see how this goes now. Because a lot of people are a little tentative at the start of a relationship. They're not 100% sure on what the other person might think or feel or what they're doing in certain situations, whatnot like that, and they're just learning each other. And the thought of bringing somebody extra into that sort of situation can be really quite daunting and really quite scary. So it could be that, hey, just give us some time and let's see how we go. If it doesn't work down the line, then it doesn't work down the line. But, yeah, those are my pieces of advice there for you. And I hope this really, really helps you out. Now, let's move on and let's talk about Wonder Woman. Please, enjoy. I know a lot of you guys will be wondering, why Wonder Woman? A lot of you probably already know the story. I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if you did. But it's not just about Wonder Woman. It's about the people involved with the creation of Wonder Woman. 
had William Moulton Marston. His wife, Elizabeth Holloway Marston. And then there was Mary Olive Byrne. More commonly known as Olive Byrne. And had a, had the pen name Olive Richard. Also known as Dotsie. All had some part of involvement in the creation of Wonder Woman. The biggest one here... Actually, no, I'll wait. You can wait a little bit for this. A lot of the, a lot of the information that I'm getting for this episode, by the way, guys, comes from the Smithsonian magazine. And a lot of it is done by Jill LaPaul. Noted psychologist revealed as author of best-selling Wonder Woman. Read the astonishing headline. In the summer of 1942, a press release from the New York offices of All American Comics turned up at newspapers, magazines, and radio stations all over the United States. The identity of Wonder Woman's creator had been at first kept secret, it said. But the time had come to make a shocking announcement. The author of Wonder Woman is Dr. William Moulton Marston, internationally famous psychologist, also credited with um, inventing the lie detector, although it was more reading faces and stuff when he first came across it. But even the person who probably invented it credits him with it. The truth about woman, Wonder Woman had come out at last, or so... At least, it was made to appear. But really, the name of Wonder Woman's creator was the least of her secrets. Wonder Woman is still to this day probably the most popular comic book superhero of all time. Aside from Superman and Batman, no other comic book character has lasted as long. Generations of girls have carried their sandwiches to school in Wonder Woman lunchboxes. Like every other superhero, Wonder Woman has a secret identity. Unlike every other superhero, though, she also has a secret history. In one episode, a newspaper editor named Brown, desperate to discover Wonder Woman's past, assigns a team of reporters to chase her down. And, of course, she easily escapes them. Brown, gone half-mad, is committed to a hospital. Wonder Woman disguises herself as a nurse and brings him a scroll. This parchment seems to be the history of that girl you call Wonder Woman, she tells him. A strange veiled woman left it with me. Brown leaps out of bed and races back to the city desk where he cries out, parchment in hand, Stop the presses! I've got the history of Wonder Woman! But Wonder Woman's secret history isn't written on the parchment. Instead, it lies buried in boxes and cabinets and drawers, in thousands of documents housed in libraries, archives, and collections spread all over the United States, including the private papers of, Ma of creator Marston. Papers that, before, were seen by Jill, had never been seen by anyone outside of Marston's family. The veil that has shrouded Wonder Woman's past for seven decades hides beneath it a crucial story about comic books, superheroes, censorship, and feminism. 
As Marston once put it, quote, Frankly, Wonder Woman is a psychological propaganda for the new type of woman whom, I believe, should rule the world. Unquote. Let's go back to the start of comic books. They were more or less invented in 1933 by Maxwell Charles Gaines, a former elementary school principal who went on to found All-American Comics. Superman first bounded over tall buildings in 1938. Batman began lurking in the shadows in 1939. And kids read them by the piles. But at a time when war was ravaging Europe, Comic books celebrated violence, even sexual violence. In 1940, the Chicago Daily News called comics a national disgrace. Ten million copies of these sex horror serials are sold every month, wrote the newspaper's literary editor, calling for parents and teachers to ban the comics. Quote, Unless we want a coming generation even more ferocious than the present one, unquote. To defend himself against critics, Gaines, in 1940, hired Marston as a consultant. Doc Marston has long been an advocate of the right type of comic magazines, he explained. Marston held three degrees from Harvard, including a PhD in psychology. He led what he called an experimental life. He'd been a lawyer, a scientist and a professor. is generally credited, like I said before, with inventing the lie detector test. He is obsessed with uncovering other people's secrets. He'd been a consulting psychologist for Universal Pictures. He'd written screenplays, a novel, and dozens of magazine articles. Gaines had read about Marston in an article in Family Circle magazine. In the summer of 1940, Olive Richard, the staff writer for the magazine, visited Marston at his house in Rye, New York, to ask him for his expert opinion about comics. She stated, Some of them are full of torture, kidnapping, sadism, and other cruel business. To which Marston admitted, Unfortunately, that is true. But... When a lovely heroine is bound to the stake, comics followers are sure that the rescue will arrive in the nick of time. The reader's wish is to save the girl, not to see her suffer. Marston was a man of a thousand lives and a thousand lies. Olive Richard was the pen name of Olive Byrne, and she hadn't gone to visit Marston. She lived with him. She was also the niece of Margaret Sanger, one of the most important feminists of the 20th century. In 1916, Sanger and her sister Ethel Byrne, Olive Byrne's mother, had opened the first birth control clinic in the United States. They were both arrested for the illegal distribution of contraception. And whilst in jail in 1917, Ethel Byrne went on a hunger strike and nearly died. Olive Byrne had met Marston in 1925, when she was a senior at Tufts. He was her psychology professor, and Marston was already married to a lawyer named Elizabeth Holloway. When Marston and Byrne fell in love, he gave Holloway a choice 
Either Byrne could live with them, or he would leave her. Not a great choice to make. Not the nicest way of doing things, but... Byrne moved in. Between 1928 and 1933, each woman bore two children. They lived together as a family. Holloway went to work. Byrne stayed home and raised the children. They told census takers and anyone else who asked that Byrne was Marston's widowed sister-in-law. Quote, Tolerant people are the happiest. Why not get rid of costly prejudices that hold you back? Is what Marston wrote in a magazine essay in 1939. He listed the six most common types of prejudice. Eliminating prejudice number six. Prejudice against unconventional people and nonconformists meant the most to him. Byrne's sons didn't find out that Marston was their father until 1963, when Holloway finally admitted it, and only after she extracted a promise that no one would raise the subject ever again. Now, Gaines didn't know any of this when he met Marston in 1940, or else he would never have hired him. He was looking to avoid controversy, not to court it. Marston and Wonder Woman were pivotal to the creation of what became DC Comics. And for those that don't know, DC was short for Detective Comics, the comic book in which Batman debuted. In 1940, Gaines decided to counter his critics by forming an editorial advisory board and appointing Marston to serve on it. And DC decided to stamp comic books in which Superman and Batman appeared with a logo. An assurance of quality, reading a DC publication. And since the comic's worst offence was their blood-curdling masculinity, Marston said the best way to fend off critics would be to create a female superhero. Well, Doc, Gaines said, I picked Superman. After every syndicate in America turned it down. I'll take a chance on your Wonder Woman. But you'll have to write the strip yourself. In February 1941, Marston submitted a draft of his first script, explaining the undermeaning of Wonder Woman's Amazonian rights uh, origins in ancient Greece, where men had kept women in chains until they broke free and escaped. The new women thus freed themselves and strengthened by supporting themselves on Paradise Island. They developed enormous physical and mental power during this time. His comic, he said, was meant to chronicle a great movement now underway, the growth in the power of women. Wonder Woman made her debut in All-Star Comics at the end of 1941, and on the cover of a new comic book, Sensation Comics, at the beginning of 1942. Drawn by an artist named Harry G. Peter, she wore a golden tiara, a red bustier, blue underpants, and knee-high red leather boots. She was a little slinky, and she was very kinky. She'd left paradise to fight fascism with feminism in America, the last citadel of democracy and of equal rights for women. It seemed to Gaines like so much good 
clean, super patriotic fun. But in March 1942, the National Organization for Decent Literature put Sensation Comics on its blacklist of publications disapproved for youth. For only one reason. Slut shaming. Wonder Woman is not sufficiently dressed. Gaines decided he needed another expert, and he turned to Loretta Bender, an associate professor of psychiatry at New York University's Medical School and a senior psychiatrist at Bellevue Hospital, where she was the director of the children's ward and an expert on aggression. She had long been interested in comics, but her interest had grown in 1940, after her husband, Paul Schilder, was killed by a car while walking home from visiting Bender and their eight-day-old daughter in the hospital. Bender, left with three children under the age of three, soon became painfully interested in studying how children cope with trauma. In 1940, she conducted a study with Reginald Lurie, a medical resident under her supervision investigating the effects of comics on four children brought to Bellevue Hospital for behavioural problems. Tessie, 12, had witnessed her father and convicted murderer kill himself. She insisted on calling herself Shira, after a comic book girl who was always rescued at the last minute by the Flash. Kenneth, 11, had been wrecked. He was frantic unless medicated or wearing a Superman cape. He felt safe in it. He could fly away if he wanted to, and he felt that the cape protected him from an assault. Bender and Lurie concluded that comic books were the folklore of this age and worked culturally, the same way as fables and fairy tales did. This hardly ended the controversy, though, because in February 43, Josette Frank an expert on children's literature, a leader of the Child Study Association, and a member of Gaines's advisory board, sent Gaines a letter. This letter stated that while she'd never been a fan of Wonder Woman, she felt she now had to speak out about its, quote, sadistic bits, showing women chained and tortured, etc. And she had a point. In episode after episode, Wonder Woman is... Chained, bound, gagged, lassoed, tied, fettered, and manacled. At one point, she cries out, Great girdle of Aphrodite! Am I tired of being tied up? The story behind the writing and editing of Wonder Woman can be pieced together from Bender's papers at Brooklyn College, Frank's papers at the University of Minnesota, and Marston's editorial correspondence along with a set of original scripts scripts housed at the Diana Library at the Smithsonian Institution Libraries. In his original scripts, Marston described scenes of bondage in careful, intimate detail with utmost precision. For a story about Mars, the god of war, Marston gave Peter elaborate description instructions for the panel in which Wonder Woman is taken prisoner. Close up, full length figure of Double Do some careful chaining here. Mars's men are experts. Put a metal collar on Wonder Woman. 
with a chain running off the panel, as though she were chained in a line of prisoners. Have her hands clasped together at her breasts, with double bands on her wrists, her Amazon bracelets, and another set. Between these runs a short chain, about the length of a handcuff chain. This is what compels her to clasp her hands together, and put another heavier, larger chain between her wristbands, which hangs in a long loop to just above her knees. At her ankles show a pair of arms and hands coming up from the panel, clasping about her ankles. This whole panel will lose its point and spoil the story unless these chains are drawn exactly as described here. Later in the story, Wonder Woman is locked in a cell, straining to overhear a conversation in the next room through the amplification of bone conduction. She takes her chain in her teeth, close up of Wonder Woman's head, shoulders. She holds her neck chain between her teeth. The chain runs taut between her teeth and the wall, where it is locked to a steel ring bolt. Gaines forwarded Frank's letter of complaint to Marston. He shrugged it off, but then Dorothy Rubicek, who helped edit Wonder Woman, the first woman editor at DC, objected to Wonder Woman's torture also. Of course I wouldn't expect Miss Rubicek to understand all of this, Marston wrote Gaines. After all, I devoted my entire life to working out psychological principles. Miss Rubicek has been in comics only six months or so, hasn't she? And never in psychology. But, quote, the secret of women's allure, he told Gaines, is that women enjoy submission, being bound. Gaines was troubled. Rubicek, who also worked on Superman as well, had invented kryptonite. She believed superheroes ought to have vulnerabilities. And she told Gaines she thought Wonder Woman ought to be more like Superman, and, just as Superman could not return to kryptonite, well, to the planet Krypton, sorry, Wonder Woman ought not to be able to go back to Paradise Island, where the kinkiest stuff tended to happen. Gaines then sent Rubicek to Bellevue Hospital to interview Bender. In a mem memo to Gaines, Rubicek reported that Bender, quote, does not believe that Wonder Woman tends to masochism or sadism, unquote. She also liked the way Marston was playing with feminism. Rubicek reported she believes... Quote, she believes that Dr. Marston is handling very cleverly this whole experiment, as she calls it. She feels that perhaps he is bringing to the public the real issue in the world, uh, the real issue at stake in the world, and one which she feels may possibly be a direct cause of the present conflict. And that is that the difference between the sexes is not a sex problem, nor a struggle for superiority but rather a problem of the relation of one sex to the other. Rubicek summed up, Dr. Bender believes that this strip should be left alone. Keynes was hugely relieved, at least until about a year and a half later, in September 43, when a letter arrived from John D. Jacobs, 
a U.S. Army Staff Sergeant in the 291st Infantry, stationed at Fort Leonard Wood in Missouri. Quote, I am one of those odd, perhaps unfortunate men, who derive an extreme exotic, erotic pleasure from the mere thought of a beautiful girl, chained or bound or masked, or wearing extreme high heels or high-laced boots. In fact, any sort of constriction or strain whatsoever. Jacob's right. He wanted to know whether the author of Wonder Woman himself had in his possession any of the items depicted in the stories. Quote, The leather mask, or the wide iron collar from the Tibet, or Greek ankle medical, or do you just dream up these things? For the record, Marston and Olive Byrne's son, <laughs> Byrne Marston, who is an 83-year-old retired obstetrician, Thinks that Marston talked about the importance of submission. He only meant it metaphorically. Quote, I never saw anything like that in our house. He didn't tie up the ladies up to the bedpost, and he'd never have gotten away with it. Unquote. Gaines forwarded Jacob's letter to Marston with a note. This is one of the things I've been afraid of. Something had to be done. He therefore enclosed, for Marston's use, a memo written by Rubicek, containing a, quote, list of methods which can be used to keep women confined or enclosed without the use of chains. Each one of these can be varied in many ways, enabling us, as I told you in our conference last week, to cut down the use of chains by at least 50 to 75% without at all interfering with the excitement of the story or the sales of our books. Marston wrote Gaines right back. I have the good sergeant's letter in which he expresses his enthusiasm over chains for women. So what? Unquote. As a practicing clinical psychologist, he said, he was unimpressed. Quote. Someday I'll make you a list of all the items about women that different people have been known to get passionate over. Women's hair, boots, belts, silk worn by women. Gloves, stockings, garters, panties, barebacks. You can't have a real woman character in any form of fiction without touching off a great many readers' erotic fancies. Which is swell, I say. Marston was sure he knew what line not to cross. Harmless erotic fancies are terrific, he said. It's the lousy ones you have to look out for. The harmful, destructive, morbid erotic fixations. Real sadism, killing, bloodletting, torturing where the pleasure is in the victim's actual pain, etc. Those are 100% bad, and I won't have any part of them, he added in closing. Please thank Miss Rubicek for the list of menaces. In 1944, Gaines and Marston signed an agreement for one woman to become a newspaper strip, syndicated by King Features. Busy with the newspaper strip, Marston hired an 18-year-old student, Joy Hummel, to help him write the comic book strips. Joy Hummel, now Joy Kelly, turned 90 in 2014. And she donated her collection of never-before-seen scripts and comic books to the Smithsonian Libraries. Hiring her helped with Marston's editorial problem, too. Her stories were more innocent than his. She'd type them and bring them to Sheldon Mayer, 
Marston's editor at DC. She told me, and, quote, he always okayed mine faster because I didn't make mine as sexy, unquote. To celebrate syndication, Gaines had his artists draw a panel in which Superman and Batman rising out of the front page of a daily newspaper call out to Wonder Woman, who's leaping onto the page. Welcome! Welcome, Wonder Woman! Gaines had another kind of welcome to make, too. He asked Loretta Bender to take Frank's place on the editorial advisory board. In an ad, King Features ran to persuade newspapers to purchase the strip, pointing out that Wonder Woman had already 10 million loyal fans. Her name is written in rope. Hidden behind this controversy is one reason for all those chains and ropes, which has to do with the history of the fight for women's rights. Because Marston kept his true relationship with Olive Byrne a secret, he kept his family's ties to Margaret Sanger a secret, too. Marston, Byrne, and Holloway. You know, I'm sure you've all figured out by now that this is a polyamorous relationship, right? It's not just me nattering on and you guys not understanding, I think. Marston, Byrne, and Holloway, and even Harry G. Peter, the artist who drew Wonder Woman, had all been powerfully influenced by the suffrage feminism, and birth control movements. And each of these movements had used chains as a centrepiece of its iconography. In 1911, going back in time, when Marston was a freshman at Harvard, the British suffragist Emmeline Pankhurst, who chained herself to the gates outside 10 Downing Street, came to speak on campus. When Sanger faced charges of obscenity for explaining birth control in a magazine she founded called The Woman Rebel. A petition sent to President Woodrow Wilson on her behalf read, While men stand proudly and face the sun, boasting they have quenched the wickedness of slavery, what chains of slavery are, have been, or ever could be so intimate a horror as the shackles on every limb, on every thought on the very soul of an unwilling pregnant woman. American suffragists threatened to chain themselves to the gates outside the White House. In 1916, Chicago, women representing the states where women still had not gained the right to vote, marched in chains. In the 1910s, Peter was a staff artist at the magazine Judge where he contributed to its suffrage page called The Modern Woman, which ran from 1912 to 1917. More regularly, the art on that page was drawn by another staff artist, a woman called Lou Rogers. Rogers' suffrage and feminist cartoons very often featured the allegorical woman chained or roped, breaking her bonds. Sanger hired Rogers as an art director for the Birth Control Review a magazine she had started in 1917. In 1920, in a book called Women and the New Race, Sanger argued that that woman had chained herself to her place in society. And the family, through the maternal functions of their nature, and only chains thus strong could have bound her to her lot as a bird animal. 
1923, an illustration commissioned by Rogers for the cover of Birth Control Review pictured a weakened and desperate woman, fallen to her knees and chained at the ankle to a ball that reads, Unwanted Babies. A chained woman inspired the title of Sanger's 1928 book, Motherhood in Bondage, a compilation of some of the thousands of letters she had received from women, begging her for information about birth control. She described the letters as the confessions of enslaved mothers. When Marston created Wonder Woman in 1941, he drew on Sanger's legacy and inspiration. But he was also determined to keep the influence of Sanger on Wonder Woman a secret. He took that secret to his grave when he died in 1947. Most superheroes didn't survive peacetime, and those that did were changed forever in 1954. When a psychiatrist named Frederick Wertham published a book called Seduction of the Innocent and testified before a Senate subcommittee investigating the comics. Wertham believed that the comics were corrupting American kids and turning them into juvenile delinquents. He especially disliked Wonder Woman. Bender had written that Wonder Woman comics display a strikingly advanced concept of femininity and masculinity and that women in these stories are placed on an equal footing with men and indulge in the same type of activities. Wertham found the feminism in, the, in Wonder Woman repulsive. Quote, As to the advanced femininity, what are the activities in comic, comic books which women indulge in on an equal footing with men? They do not work. They are not homemakers. They do not bring up a family. Mother love is entirely absent. Even when Wonder Woman adopts a girl, there are lesbian overtones, he said. At the Senate, he Senate hearings, Bender testified too. If anything in American popular culture was bad for girls, she said, it wasn't Wonder Woman. It was Walt Disney. The mothers are always killed or sent to the insane asylums in Walt, Dis Walt Disney movies, she said. Although this argument fell on deaf ears. Wortham's papers, housed at the Library of Congress, were only open to researchers in 2010. They suggest that Wortham's antipathy toward Bender had less to do with the contact, content of the comics than with professional rivalry. Paul Schilder, Bender's late husband, had been Wortham's boss for many years. Wortham's papers contained a scrap on which he compiled a list he titled Paid experts of the comic book industry posing as independent scholars. First on the list as the comic book industry's number one lackey was Bender, about whom Wortham wrote, boasted privately of bringing up her three children on money from crime comic books. Unquote. In the wake of the 1954 hearings, DC Comics removed Bender from its editorial advisory board, and the Comics Magazine Association of America adopted a new code. Under its terms, comic books could contain nothing cruel. All scenes of horror, excessive bloodshed, gory or gruesome crimes, depravity, lust, sadism, masochism shall not be permitted. There could be nothing kinky. Illicit sex relations are neither to be hinted at nor portrayed. Violent love scenes as well as sexual abnormalities 
are simply unacceptable. And there would be nothing unconventional. The treatment of love romance stories shall emphasise the value of the home and the sanctity of marriage. Anniversary, which we forgot entirely. Olive Byrne wrote in her secret diary in 1936. The diary remains in family hands. During the years when she lived with Marston and Holloway, she wore, instead of a wedding ring, a pair of bracelets. Wonder Woman wears those same cuffs, and Byrne died in 1990 at the age of 86. She and Holloway had been living together in an apartment in Tampa. While Byrne was in the hospital, dying, Holloway fell and broke her hip, and she was admitted to the same hospital, although they were in separate rooms. They'd lived together for 64 years. When Holloway, in her hospital bed, was told that Byrne had died, she sang a poem by Tennyson. Sunset and the evening star, and one clear call for me. And may there be no moaning of the bar when I put out to sea. Not one newspaper ran an obituary for Olive Byrne. Elizabeth Holloway Marston died in 1993. An obituary ran in the New York Times and it was headed Elizabeth H. Marston. Inspiration for Wonder Woman 100. This was, at best, a half truth. There's something here that I really want to just touch on quickly. In that these two wonderful women, let's not forget that Marston died in 1954. These wonderful women didn't die until quite late on, comparatively. You, know, you had one die in 1990 and one die in 1993. They lived together for 64 years, even when after Marston had died. Holloway and Byrne stayed together the entire time, which is kind of crazy if you think about it in, even in nowadays. You barely see two people stay together and... Uh, as opposed to one brought in, uh, I, I guess, under duress to the other one. Uh, perhaps the, the the secretive sort of whisperings around keeping Olive's real role a secret made a big difference. Perhaps not. But I think it's really quite interesting. And to see um, Wonder Woman as such a strong feminist as part of this as well, and let's not forget that Marston was also seen as a feminist in all of this. Yeah, some of his things were a little bit backwards um, and and things like that, but he was seen as that anyway. He was into BDSM, as noted through all of that, but it was never seen as practiced at home. And they were completely polyamorous, which is something that we don't really look on uh, too much either. It was kind of weird for me. He did believe that women were superior to men. And it was really, really, really quite fascinating for me to learn through all of this. Yet, as Jill Laporte tells it, the cultural history of, of Wonder Woman is 
just as fascinating as as um, William Marston's personal life. But I, I feel as though it's it's almost impossible, very very difficult to separate um, what William Marston was doing and in his personal life and the the cultural history of of Wonder Woman as a comic as well. But a press release, and I've, I've found this through all of this as well, accompanying Wonder Woman's debut explained that Marston aimed to set up a standard among children and young people of strong, free, courageous womanhood to combat the idea that women are inferior to men and to inspire girls to self-confidence in athletics, occupations and professions monopolised by men. It went on to express Marston's view that the only hope for civilization is the greater freedom, development, and equality of women in all fields of human activity. Now, I, I feel as though you could be forgiven uh, for thinking that 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 the language used there um, sounds more to be a part of a modern-day non-profit organization or or whatever. And not really a World War Two era entertainment uh, comic book or or whatever, but Marston would go for he he went further, he went further. He said, frankly, Wonder Woman is the psychological propaganda for the new type of woman who should, I believe, rule the world. And I've said that before. I want to stick on this quote because it really is kind of crazy. Frankly. Wonder Woman is the psychological propaganda for the new type of woman. The new type of woman who should, I believe, rule the world. It's kind of crazy. I like it. I like it a lot. His interest in domineering women and S&M drove the early stories, which are full of that, all of that bondage imagery. And there were a lot of people who got very upset, as we talked about. Is this a feminist project that's supposed to help girls decide to go to college and have careers? Or is it just like soft porn? As we talked about earlier, Marston thought <laughs> the soft porn could be any comic that was on the market. I'd also love to go back to this other quote. Um, and this one came from Olive. Oh, an interview with Olive at the time. Marston is is asked whether some comics weren't full of torture, kidnapping, sadism and other cruel business. He replied and I like this as well. Unfortunately that's true but the reader's wish is to save the girl not to see her suffer. They're created not to see a girl suffer. And especially with Wonder Woman, it's kind of crazy because she's and uh, basically a superhuman Amazonian princess, and she saved herself from these situations. She didn't have to be rescued by a man. She didn't have to be rescued by anybody else at all. And then there you go. She's able to wiggle herself. Oh, not wiggle. She's. Uh, allowed to break free herself, well not allowed, again, she's able to break free herself instead of having anybody else. 
it's one of the things that's a defining element of Wonder Woman, I think. That if a man binds her in chains, she loses all of Amazonian strength. So in nearly every episode of the early comics, she's chained up or roped up and she has to break free in order to signify her emancipation from men. She does do her fair share of roping up others as well, as most of you know with the Lasso of Truth and other means. Now, the Lasso of Truth, I think, is quite funny. I think it's a bit of a callback to um, some of Marston's early work where he invented the, or saw the correlation between a, a person's blood pressure and whether they were lying or telling the truth. And I guess kind of inventing the the world's first sort of lie detector. And I, I find that itself really quite interesting on its own. But, um, yeah, really, really cool. The... The bondage references in the comics, for anybody who's actually read these, I, I have. Now you had, and I want to go back to this going through the women's suffrage thing as well, that all of these ropes and chains had. So it wasn't just a bondage, it wasn't just a king thing, it wasn't just a sexy thing. It was around the, the women's rights movements again. So it's all linked in with that, even as part of, you know, a, a just what is considered a comic book, nothing more than that, which is awesome that it was all able to link in together without people really sort of realising it until a much later date. Really, really cool. Really, really fun. So, yeah, there we go. That's kind of all that I have. There has been... Uh, a film adaptation of it all now as well, which is which is really, really cool. If you do want to go and check that out, I would highly recommend it. It is really, really cool and really, really fun to watch as well. Uh, the name of the movie itself is Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman. Women. Um, it was in 2017. I would also really recommend that you go and read the book The Secret History of Wonder Woman as well. And it's truly real life. It's it's kind of amazing. Um, but, yeah, really, really cool. Really, really awesome. I hope um, you all learned a thing or two, or you go out and perhaps have a look for yourself as well. It's um, really, really, really cool. But that is all that I have time for today. You'll notice that it's, in addition to being two weeks, it's a bit of a shorter episode. Um uh, but you know me, guys, the, my episodes sort of vary uh, in length quite a bit. Um, there's certainly no set way to go about it. For me, I just sort of sit here and I talk and, and enjoy learning about things, and I hope you guys are really enjoying it as well. Um, don't forget to hit me up on the socials, guys, just before I go, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or email the show. Um, on the socials, it's at the ASLAP podcast. Email through to the podcast at gmail.com. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to learn about anything in particular, let me know, guys. I'll uh, find a way to get it in there. But for now, enjoy yourselves. <laughs>